Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Knight Court. Today we are discussing chapters 37 and 38 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. I thought that no one could fix me. Libby, how's your week? What's up? It's been a fun week. My husband has had softball games going. Mm. Why do I think that's so cute? That sounds adorable. (laughs) I mean, it was like a work thing where there wasn't really like a team. They didn't like have a color or like jerseys or anything. So like they all just kind of showed up and played against other offices. And we went to support... And they won one of their four games, and technically by default... Hey! Yeah, technically by default they won a second because one of the teams forfeited. Oh. Uh, But they got absolutely destroyed in the others. Well, I'm glad he tried. Well... That's all that matters. Our child was very excited to go support him at these games. Okay. And at one of them... There was, I mean, at all of them, there were several kids, like other people's kids out playing of varying ages. Right. And she was playing as well at one point. And then a few of them were like, oh, we we all simultaneously suddenly have to go to the bathroom. Wow, how crazy. All of our bladders sink up. And so we're like all Mm. right. Like the the owners of each child, the adult owners of each child were like, all right, whatever. Let's walk over to the bathroom over here. (laughs) And, like, there's this, like, dirt mound that you have to kind of, like, pass. And it's not it's not part of the field. It's just, like, there's just a pile of dirt. Like, it, 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 I don't know why. I have no idea why this pile of dirt's here. Okay. Please don't ask me for more information. That's all I know. And one little boy, super cute, was just like, I know what's in that dirt pile. It's a it's a bug palace or like it's a it's a bug pile and i was like oh gross all right well let's not mess with it you know like let's right. not play in the dirt pile and like mess with the bugs ha ha my child goes no it's not and i don't know but she said it with such a commanding voice that everyone else like went really like quiet and they focused in on her she was like in that pile in that dirt pile is a dead body. And I was like, no. Uh, no, ma'am. She goes, somebody was killed here. And then the other kids, and she's like not upset. She's just factually like, it's a dead body. Somebody died and was killed. You're like, no, ma'am. No, it's not. Right. I was like, we're going to stop this right now. And then the other kids are panicking and they're like, oh my God, there's a dead body. Somebody buried a dead body. So they're all freaking out. And I was like, what is wrong with you? She's just like, I mean, it is. That's what it is. Why would you have a pile of dirt here? She's like, Mom, Mom, why wouldn't there be a dead body here? What are you talking about? We've watched so many 60 Minutes in 2020, Mom. You're telling me that there's a dirt pile that doesn't have a dead body under it? That's not suspicious, really? Listen, that's when you know you're raising your child correctly. Just saying. <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious. And like inside, I was just like, oh my God, this is freaking amazing. This is the greatest thing that's happened to me all week. True crime babies for life. But the uh, the the dirty disapproving looks I got from all the other parents who aren't as open and honest about death with their children I they're like oh my god so we didn't we didn't go to any of the other softball games (laughs) you're like 
honey, you're on your own for this one. <laughs> Hate to tell ya. I was like, I, I don't think after last time we're as welcome as we were. Oh my god. Your child being the youngest of all the kids freaked out all of the big kids and walked away without even batting an eye and didn't even think anything of it. So... That is actually perfection and i'm very proud of her i was too i was so proud but i yeah we couldn't we were like we can't we can't go back you you just do your best and we'll be home waiting like you got this oh my god i love it it was a great time how about you abby though what's uh what's your week looked like it was emotional for two reasons number one i have now an ever-growing pile of clothes that i can no longer wear so I hit 108 down this week, which is cool. But like, Golly. that also means that a lot of my clothes don't fit anymore. And I know we talked about this before, but it's just getting more and more emotional because like these are, I, I don't know, my like security blanket clothes. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Like the clothes that I would wear and I just knew they were going to fit and I knew that I was going to feel good in them. And now they don't fit, but my brain can't put two and two together so it's rough and then also i had to be an adult and that's gross Mm, yeah i had to buy my own contacts now that sounds not like a big deal to most average people i come from a very small town where the eye doctor that i've seen for my entire life exists the same man whose daughter's wedding i took photos at i mean We've known them. My family goes to them. He's always ordered my contacts since I was literally in eighth grade. Never once have I had to do it. Now I live in a foreign country and I had to order them by myself. Now, granted, they came in and they're wonderful and they're a fourth of the price that they are in the States. The same exact contacts. Wow. Wow. And I can afford one a day contacts like a fancy person now (laughs) because they're literally like for the month. I've never worn contacts, so like I'm not sure what that but like <sighs> that that tells me that there are people reusing their contacts and that worries me. That's normal. No, no, no. That's normal. Um there's some that are like you only can wear for 24 hours okay. because they're thinner and they like, I, I don't know. I'm new to this con- one a day contacts. Um, they're they're okay. We're 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 all learning. They're just thinner and like more hydrating, which is why I need to do it because uh, I'm blessed with an astigmatism. Samesies, hey, look at us. It sucks. I say blessed with with uh, a severe amount of sarcasm. Doesn't it make the lights look so pretty at night though? <laughs> oh yeah, I love when I'm driving and everything looks like cross hatched. <laughs> It looks like Christmas everywhere. Oh, it's even worse when it's raining. <laughs> and I'm like, what is the ground? What is the road? What's a reflection? It's all the same. Test your luck. Oh, it's terrifying. Uh, but no, people reuse con- There's like contacts you can use for up to a month. Okay. That I might have once upon a time extended to a year. Okay. N- don't do that. Yeah, no, okay. it's okay. But yeah, I ordered them. They came in and it was magical, but I felt gross that I had to order my own contacts. So emotional times here. I'm so sorry. It's hard. It's hard when you have to like make your own doctor's appointments and like do stuff like that. Like when that first. Okay, but granted. So much anxiety. I was like, my mom used to make all my appointments for me, right? No. Yeah. I did make my mom call my eye doctor and go and pick up my prescription. (laughs) (laughs) So 
I still got to not be a full adult for a bit, you know, just turning 28 and still having my mom get stuff from my doctors. Oh, good, good, fine. I never have good experience with like eye doctors because, you know, with the, the diabetes, I have to have those like special, you know about the special eye drops, right? Oh, yeah, the dilating ones? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. And like every time... Wait, normal people don't get that? Apparently, I don't, I don't know. Because every time I've gone, I've always been told that they have to use like this, these like certain ones because it's like I'm diabetic and it's for a, a specific diabetic eye testing. So they always put them in. I am okay for like the first two seconds. And then they're like, okay, let's move on. And then right when they're about to start doing things, I about, I pass out always. Every single time so I, I, I go really pale and I pass out or I throw up or both. And they're like, oh, yeah, that happens with these drops. And growing up. You're like, you're not going to warn me. <laughs> well, growing up, I, I wasn't diagnosed till I was 16, which is really late for type 1 diabetes to be diagnosed. Fun med facts for our listeners today. So I didn't have to have those tests done ever until later on as a, a little bit older of a teenager. And my sister, however, Samantha is just blind as shit. She's got the worst eyesight. I'm just going to throw it out there. She knows. She knows. I talk about her a lot. Hey, I love you, but your eyesight is horrible. Her eyesight is trash. And so she grew up as like from being very little needing to have like her eyes dilated. So the first time I went to get it done, I was like, how, how like does it feel? And she was like, oh, it's awful. Like you're going to like, it's going to hurt. You're going to be like, you're going to want to pass out. Well, sure enough. It made me pass out. So, like, my family was always like, you just, you're just dramatic because your sister scared you. Like, for, for years, they gave me such crap that I was just being dramatic. And then finally, as an adult, I asked my, like, my uh, optometrist, like, is this just, like, am I dramatic? They're like, oh, no, that's common with diabetics and these drops is you're probably going to pass out or throw up or both or, you know, have fun. So, I didn't know it was specifically for diabetes, but I remember... Just one one year, them starting to do this test, and now that you remind me, it's kind of when I got diagnosed with diabetes. Um, so, yeah, that's terrifying. Libby, what's the question of the week? The question of the week is, how did your parents meet, Abby? I have a really cute story for this. You go first, because yours is really cute, and mine is just... I mean, you know my dad. You, you know my parents, so... It's funny, because my parents are not at all romantic. My dad, the older he gets, the more he tries to be romantic. Um, but it's not his forte and by any means. So okay. see, my dad is he likes to joke around a lot. Like one year for Christmas, my mom wanted she wanted a Roomba like right when they were coming out. And so like I jokingly was like, oh, just like just get like a broom. And so he did. And he put like a paper on it that said Broomba. Oh, my. And, and, and I mean, he Wait, did, did get, he her, get her. A Roomba? Yeah, he got her a Roomba as well. But like, obviously, he gave her the Broomba first. So like, you know, I would have been mad. So it's like you got to take everything with my dad with a grain of salt. It sounds like and it. even serious stuff. You just yeah. And so that that is going to be his story. Just uh, just know that that's what we're in for. But I want to start with the cute one first. So my dad's parents, my grandparents, owned a bowling alley. Cute. Now this doesn't sound cute yet, but you got to think. Oh, I thought it did. Okay. This is in the 80s. This is in the 80s when bowling was like the coolest thing you could do. Yeah. My dad was a professional bowler. Oh, okay. So he'd go around and like go to bowling championships. I don't know. You have like a jacket and everything? Was there like a... Uh, he had the whole nine yards. Yeah. Oh, wow. The custom shoes and everything. Oh, yeah. 80s bowling jackets. Oh, yeah. Cust custom balls, custom shirts. Oh, whole love nine it. Yards. 
Stop. Does he still? Please tell me he still has this stuff. No, it's all gone now. But that was his whole life, right? And so he was at the bowling alley, which it was literally called the bowling alley. The bowling alley. Or it's Freeburg Lanes or something. Something cute. Anyway, my mom came into the bowling alley with a couple friends. And my dad saw her and said to his buddy, that's my wife. I will marry her in a year. Mark my words. Oh. Before he even walked up to my mom. Oh. Yes. Like, right, first sight. It was a love at first. Yes. Stop. Oh, my God. And um, so they, they met. They went on a couple dates. And no shit. Less than a year later, they were married. And your dad seems like a man of few words. So, like, that had to have been... Oh, he is a man of many words when it comes to being on a cell phone, Elizabeth. (laughs) In a foreign country. In a foreign country, on speakerphone. (laughs) But no, he's a man of few words when it comes to relationships. But yeah, no, they met at the bowling alley that his parents owned. And my dad said, I will marry that woman, mark my words. And he did it so i think that's pretty dang cute that is really cute what about you wow okay wow so my parents my dad was in college and he was 21 i think my mom was fresh out of high school Mm -hmm. 19 about to go into um she she had like gotten scholarships for like nursing school and stuff so i know i ruined that don't worry like i was a huge oh i ruined my mom's law degree don't worry Look at us. Not law degree. My apologies. Her entire career in law. I feel ya. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, just derailing our parents' lives. That's great. So they they were working part-time at the same Walmart. And I think my mom was, like, uh, at a register. Like, a cashier. She worked as a cashier. Okay. And my dad worked in the pet department. And I remember that specifically. He worked in the pet department. And he saw my mom and was like, who is that girl? And was, like, trying to flirt with her and, like, hit on her. And she just was, like, not interested. Not having And it. he was, like, just give me your number. Right. She was just, like, eh. So he was, like, just give me your number. And she wouldn't do it. Like, she wouldn't, like, give her his number or anything. And eventually he, like, found out, like, her name and went into the manager's office and stole her file and stole her number. Of course he did. <laughs> And called her up and, like, she liked him. It it wasn't, like, a creepy... Yeah, but, like, my dad likes to say, he's like, I stalked her. I watched her for weeks. I planned... Like, and not... Now, now you're making a cute face. He likes to ruin it and be like, I I got a job there. And, like, I followed her home. And, like, he likes... That's my dad. Yeah. No, I... My dad would do the same thing. Well, he doesn't take anything seriously. Like, whenever I've asked him, like, how they named me... He, I still don't know. I still don't know because my mom was always like, your dad picked your name. So she, I don't think she knows how he came up with my name because the story that he tells me is that in high school, there was a girl he knew and she and I have the same first name, Elizabeth. And like they went out and they were like looking at like the, the water over the cliffs and like it was really pretty. And he was like, Long story short, the authorities deemed that she fell. She fell. She wasn't pushed. She fell. So we have to honor her, honor her. And I'm like, just tell me how you named me. You didn't, you didn't not, not kill somebody and choose to name me after them. Like, stop it. But that's, that's the story I get. So yeah, according to my dad, he was a creepy stalker for my mom. But the true story is that he just like had a really big crush and she was 
given him the runaround, so he got super creative and stole her file from HR and got her number. And That would be an HR violation now. Back then, it was probably cute. Oh, now, like, super bad. It's cute for back then. Speaking of creepy people, you ready? Oh, that's a way to start it. Akatar is full of creepy people. Oh, okay. I did. I wasn't expecting you to go into Akatar. I was like, who? Who, Abby? Oh, uh, buddy, the whole point of the podcast. You're right. You're so right. Look, we, for our listeners, I just got off work. We started doing this, like, right after I got done with work, and... No, no. It is 1.25 in the morning, Elizabeth. I don't want to hear it. And it's, yes, it's dead in the morning for you. It's right off work, after, right off work for me. I have a meeting at 10 a.m. at my house. Oh, no. Okay. All right. You're, let's get down to the, to the meat and gravy, the, the creepy people of the week. Let's get into it then. Not star of the week, creepy people of the week. No, no, no. Our stars of the weeks are not creepy. That's not... I'm, I'm literally talking about people in Akatar being creepy. You know, like the adder and stuff. The, those. Remember how last week I was knitting? Well, this week I'm crocheting an entire cardigan. <laughs> so if you hear my crickly crackles of me, not with knitting needles this time, but um, crocheting a whole cardigan... Ignore me. Okay, thank you. Bye. Chapter 37. Favor was left alone with her festering wound. Nobody had come to help, not even Lucian. The open wound hadn't stopped bleeding, and Favor waited in fear for the clot or an infection to appear. The food brought to her made her so nauseous she had dedicated an entire corner of her cell to the vomit it aroused. The smell was overpowering in her freezing cell and only made worse by the fact that she was still coated in mud. Feyre had awoken from her recent sleep feverish and was propped against the cold stone wall for relief. She was dizzy just being conscious and her broken arm lay limp at her side. She believed the fever was brought on by a cold rather than an infection from her injury. Feyre was slipping in and out of consciousness, telling herself to stay awake and monitor her wound when her cell door seemed to move. No, rather the darkness around it moved. Feyre felt fear growing in her stomach as a male stepped out of the living darkness. Rhysand smiled his violet eyes glowing in the little light that the cell offered. He teased that Tamlin's champion was in such a sorry state, and Feyre spit back to go to hell with the fading strength that she did have left. Rhysand crouched near her, but feigned disgust at the vomit-filled corner nearby. Feyre wanted to crawl away or kick him off, but there was no energy left for her to do so. Rhysand appeared to taunt her, asking what Tamlin would say if he knew that she was rotting down in the cell. Not that he could get away to check, his every move was being watched. Feyre attempted to hide her arm in the shadows, not wanting Rhysand to know just how weak she really was. Feyre told him to get away, to which Rhysand raised an eyebrow. After all, he was there to help, and Feyre dares to tell him to leave? Feyre told him again to get away, but Rhysand instead mentioned that she had made him quite a bit of money and he felt he should repay her. Feyre only leaned her head back against the mercifully cool stone. The world was spinning around her and nausea was building, softly. Rhysand told Feyre to let him see her arm. She didn't move. He growled, then demanded to see her wounded arm, then grabbed it, pulling the arm into the light. Feyre bit down on her lip, drawing blood, trying with all she could not to cry out. She knew if they found out how bad the injury was, it would be used against her. Rhysand smiled sensuously, remarking the gruesomeness of the injury. Feyre swore at him and demanded he leave, but Rhysand simply asked if she wanted his help. At what cost? Feyre contemplated. Ah, that... Rhysand offered a trade. He would heal her arm in exchange for her. Two weeks of his choosing every month. Feyre would live with him in the night court. No, was all Feyre said. 
but Rhysand weighed her options out loud. She could wait and hope that Lucian possibly show up and heal her before the wound killed her, or she could be healed now through a bargain with him. Lucian may come within five minutes, or it may take five days, assuming he's willing to risk another punishment for helping her. After healing her nose last time, he had received 20 lashes bestowed on him by Tamlin himself. They were worried about how the punishment may have tormented Lucian and Tamlin. Rhysand reiterated again out loud, how much could Favor trust Lucian to save her? Judging by the fever, she may not have time to risk it. Not to mention the disgusting mud exposed to the open wound, furthering illness and infection. Rhysand assures Favor that he wasn't invading her thoughts. He could tell she was aware that she was dying. Well, Rhysand asked, go to hell. Favor managed to get out behind gritted teeth. Rhysand grabbed a shard of exposed bone and twisted. Favor let out a shattering scream, panting and sobbing as pain took over all of the other senses. Rhysand simply smirked and fear spit in his face. Rhysand only laughed. He stood to leave and offered Favor one last chance. She could accept his offer now, but once he left the cell, there would be no more help offered to her from him. The dark began to ripple around him, and Favor knew she had no other choice. Lucian had hesitated to save her too many times, even when his protection had been promised in the past. As much as she wanted to trust Lucian, she couldn't afford to now. Wait, wait, Feyre repeated. Five days. Instead of two weeks, Feyre attempted to bargain. Ten, Rhysand countered. One week, Feyre offered while holding his gaze. Rhysand agreed. It's a deal. He said. The metallic taste of magic filled Feyre's mouth and Rhysand smiled as he grabbed her sickly arm. Fierce pain stormed through her. Her scream was the only noise she heard and her blood seemed to rush in and out of her. Suddenly, she woke to a smiling Rhysand and the absence of pain and fever. The dirt and mud was also gone, as if she had been bathed by the magic. Then Feyre saw it, her arm. It was a night court custom to mark a bargain permanently upon the flesh, and her arm was now covered in whirls of black ink all the way down to her fingers, and the center of her palm was a large feline-type eye. The slitted pupil stared directly at her. Favor told Rhysand to make it go away. He laughed at the request. The tattoo, upon closer examination, had depictions of flowers and curves making up the pattern. She was shocked. He hadn't told her this would happen. Rhysand lingered near the door, night rolling off him. Feyre hadn't asked, so he couldn't be blamed, was his explanation. Rhysand wondered aloud if this lack of gratitude had anything to do with how a certain high lord may react. Feyre could already imagine how Tamlin would become pale, lips thinned and claws withdrawn. She practically heard the growl that would tear through the room when he saw... Rhysand seemed amused, and Feyre knew then, this wasn't to save her. This had all been to hurt Tamlin, and she fell right into the trap. Rhysand told Feyre to rest up before all that was left in his place was Shadow. Okay, quick question. When you make your coffee or your tea, do you not feel like you're doing a little potion? Because, like, I add a dash of honey and a little bit of vanilla and a little bit of sweet. I'm like, this is a spell. Also, if I make soup in a pot, it's a cauldron. You know what's, like, difficult, though, is, like, when other people are like, can I make you, like, some coffee or tea? And I'm just like, oh. Because, like, you know, like, it's so specific, the algorithm that goes into my coffee or tea or my beverages. Like, you have to have the ju- just the right amount. I trained 
my husband. I, I'm keeping this in. Our listeners are going to hear. I've trained my husband. He knows exactly how I like my beverages, like just how much honey, just how much milk, anything. He knows exactly what needs to go into it. And it's got to be the right kind of milk. Do you want to hear a secret that uh, James doesn't even know? I pretended to love his coffee when we first got together. Oh, no. Oh. It uses sweet and low, and I'd rather saw my arm off. Oh, God. Oh. Then you sweeten low in my coffee. Oh my god. Has he learned the ways? Has he evolved? When he makes my coffee in the morning, I've trained him to put ice. My Because, uh, again, the gastric bypass, I have to have a shit ton of protein every day. So he'll put my protein in there and my four shots of espresso and my ice. And then he goes, here you go. And hands me it to fix. So I've also trained him just in a very different way. Okay. But yes, okay. And now that I'm done with my, my uh, spell of tea. Chapter 36. Farrah fought and lost the war against looking down at her arm. The tattooed lines were of a blue so dark it appeared to be black. The eye on her palm stayed facing away from her because looking at it made her feel like spiders were crawling down her back. It was just creepy. She had been thrown into a white marbled floored room and given a bucket and brush by yellow fanged guard. They'd warned her that if she didn't have the floors shining by dinner, she would be tied up to the spit and roasted off by a fire. Favor didn't know the time or when supper time would be arriving, so she quickly began to scrub the floors. The floor somehow got dirtier the harder she scrubbed due to the dirty water she had been handed from the guards. She went to ask the guards for clean water, but found the door locked. She was alone without any help. It hit her then. This was an impossible task. She wondered if the spit was the reason for all the screaming in the dungeons and if it would roast all of her skin off or just cause her to have to make another bargain with resand. The more she dipped her dirty brush into the dirty water, the more brown showed on the white marble floor. She sighed and threw the brush to the ground. Her hands flew up to her face before she realized that the eye was against her cheek. Her hands immediately went down. She took a deep breath and tried to figure out a plan but she couldn't stop thinking about how she'd be tied to the spit like a pig. She scrubbed and scrubbed, but after all the work she put in, it only looked like somebody had splattered mud on the floor. It was only getting worse. She realized that she could take down a murderous worm, but cleaning the floor was too hard of a task. That's when she thought she heard the click of a door. She thought she'd seen Lucian at the end of the hall, but it wasn't him. It was a woman, older than Amarantha, but beautiful, unmasked, red hair, and deep brown eyes. It wasn't Lucian, but she was close. It was the Lady of the Autumn Court. Feyre bowed her head. For giving her name in place of my son's life, the lady said. She pointed at the bucket and said, my debt is paid. Then she left through the same door she entered through. Feyre thought she could smell roasted chestnuts and smoke from a fire as the lady disappeared. Feyre didn't thank her, but wished she would have. Once the doors closed, Feyre realized that she'd hidden her left arm from the lady's view. The bucket she pointed at the bucket. Farah crouched down to look inside, and after dipping her fingers to double check, she was eternally grateful to find the water was clean. She took a second to breathe before she poured out the water and washed away the mud. The guards were pissy when they'd found out she'd completed their task that day, but the next day they were back with their mischievous smiles. She was taken to a large bedroom with a fireplace. The guards pointed to the fireplace and told her that a servant had spilt lentils in the ashes. She was advised it was now her job to clean up the lentils before the owner of the room came back or he would, quote, peel off her skin and strip. She heard the door slam and lock click. She was finally alone again. It hit her just how stupid her task was to separate the lentils out of ash. Stupid and impossible. She looked around the large, dark bedroom. Besides the random assortment of normal bedroom furniture, it was bare. The sheets were made of black silk on top of a ginormous mattress. Vera took a deep breath and rationalized with herself. If she could spot rabbits hiding in the woods and track things that wished to remain 
undiscoverable. She could do this. Or so she had thought. Over two hours had passed before her task began, and no matter how many times she combed through the damn ashes, more lentils appeared. Pharaoh wondered if the owner of this room would really try to harm her, and if so, could she fight back? Amarantha hadn't specifically said anything about not defending herself. Pharaoh's hands were covered with black from the ashes. She began to sort through the ashes yet again when she heard the lock. Her hands reached for the fire poker as she quickly got to her feet. Whoever it was, was cloaked in darkness and went to sit on the bed. As wonderful as it is to see you here, favorite darling, Rhysand said. Do I want to know why you're digging through my fireplace? She explained the task and emphasized the whole ripping off her skin part. He smiled at that. She asked him if he was to thank for her stupid tasks, but he denied any part. He even mentioned that no one had learned of their bargain. He asked if shame was the reason for that. Favorite didn't answer to that question. Instead, she asked him one of her own. Pointing to the fireplace, she said, is this clean enough for you? He asked why there were lentils in the fireplace in the first place. Farah didn't find that funny and said it must have been one of his mistress's household chores. He told her that he thought Amarantha or her friends thought he might find some sport with Farah. Farah countered saying maybe it was a test for him. After all, he was the only one who bet on her during her first test. Amarantha couldn't have been too happy about that. He asked Vera why Amarantha would be testing him. Vera explained that he had lied to her about Claire. He said Amarantha might play her games, but he also played his own. Things got boring under the mountain after a while. Vera prodded about fire night, how he'd been able to get out and leave the head on the gate. He clarified that Amarantha had asked him to put the head in the garden. He'd had his own reasons, though, for being out on fire night and that it had cost him. The smile that came from him didn't reach his eyes. He asked if she was going to put down the poker or hit him. She didn't let go of it. He told her it was a valiant effort, but useless. She realized he was right and remembered how he didn't have to use physical violence to hurt others. He could do it with those claws in her mind. She asked about that, about how he still had powers while the rest of the High Lords didn't. She had thought Amarantha had taken away all of their abilities. He said his powers were, in fact, gone. What was left, as he demonstrated by gently stroking his claws against her mind, was only remnants of what he could do before. He explained that Tamlin might have had the power of strength and shape-shifting, but his own powers were far more deadly. He continued explaining that all of the High Lords can shape-shift because they had an inner beast in them, beneath their skin. Tamlin became a beast of fur, but Reese's wings. He couldn't fully shift anymore. He demonstrated by tapping the claws where his fingers had just been, the same with his toes. I don't particularly like yielding wholly to my baser side, he said. With that, she looked behind him to see enormous black wings sprawled behind him. They reminded her of a bats. They were beautiful but terrifying. In an instant, they were gone. It left her with the feeling that she'd made the biggest mistake of her life making a bargain with him, offering her life to this man. He asked why she hadn't attempted any words of flattery. She had said he'd had a high enough opinion of himself already, and that she didn't think flattery from a human would mean much to him anyways. He laughed, and that laugh slid down her back, warming her like a glass of wine. He wasn't sure if he should consider her admirable or just stupid for being that bold with a high lord. She realized that she had trouble staying quiet with she realized that she had trouble staying quiet with him around, so she went full throttle. She asked him if he knew the answer to the riddle. She clarified that Amarantha had never said she couldn't ask for help. He said that they had all been banned from eating Pharaoh. It was law from Amarantha's tongue. Pharaoh tried to, to ask again, but Reese said not to bother. It was an order from Amarantha. If she ordered them to stop breathing, he'd have to do that. Pharaoh deflated. She saw him snap his fingers and suddenly there wasn't a drop of ash on her. He said it was a gift for her for having the balls to ask him for help. She didn't smile, just blankly stared back at him. He pointed to the now spotless hearth where a bucket had been filled with lentils. The door swung open as if by magic and there stood the guards that had retrieved her from the cell. 
Reese told them her task was completed and she could be taken back to her cell. As they reached for Feyre, a feline smile came from Reese. He told the guards that there was to be no more household chores nor tasks. The guards' eyes went hazy and their mouths hung. He told them to tell the other guards too that they were to stay away from her cell and not dare to touch her. He said if they did, they'd have to take their own daggers and gut themselves. The guards dumbly nodded and finally blinked. She realized that they had been glamored by the High Lord of the Night Court. She was terrified and tried to hide her shaking. She was thankful though, to find the guards hadn't touched her. Glamour had worked. With a final smile, he said softly, you're welcome, as she was led out of the room back to her cell. This is one of my favorite parts of the book, honestly. I have to agree. Personally, I think we've been in like this web of Tamlin, Lucian, Feyre for so long. This like little ball, this little bubble of them three. And I'm starting to like that Feyre's building these relationships with other people. Like she's getting to branch out more. It's just not Tamlin and Lucian. Right. We're getting more. Okay. So your chapter. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The bargain. You know, the most important part of the book. It's fine. Right. What? Excuse me. Would you have made it? There's so many things here. What? Would I have made it? Would you? Have, yeah. 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 Even with everything we know about him now, he's the most evil person in Printhian. Or so we're told. At this point, I'm about to die. And I, my mindset, and I, I'm, I'm thinking that this was Feyre's on some level too, is that there's a good chance you're not going to survive any of these trials. You're not going to make it out of this anyway. So really, what, you're taking a bargain to be with him a week uh, forever out of every month that are you really going to get to that point? Are we really going to even make it that far? So Okay, can we get dark for a second? Yeah, go ahead. As somebody who's been suicidal, I wonder, like my brain goes, what's the point at that point? Like, if yeah. you're already going to die, just let yourself die. So that's, like, the opposite coin. I mean, geez, yeah, that was dark. Yeah. No, I... I <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. She definitely had a choice here. She could have taken her out and just let herself rot and die in that dungeon. But I think that she's too committed to this idea of, like, rescuing Tamlin and Lucian now. That she's, she's willing to let herself die, but it's got to be within the the bounds that she's she's gonna die while rescuing them or while trying to save them she can't just like die because she got sick falling apart and going decrepit in a cell right so i think that in her mind she's probably like you know i don't know that i'm gonna survive these trials but i'll take whatever advantage i'm given and it, she doesn't really have much of a choice because you and I both know Lucian in the past has not been very reliable. I know he redeemed himself. What? That was my second question. Do you think he was would have shown up? I don't know. I I think that there were a lot of really good points that... Okay, let me scratch that. Let me start over. Yes, I think Lucian eventually would show up. The problem is... In time. When? When is Lucian going to... When would he show up? Exactly. And she knows it. She's got a very limited time amount, amount of time left. She's got a very limited amount of time left. And she's waiting on somebody to save her. And Lucian, he's already played it so fast and loose and reckless with her so many times. She can't trust that he knows what she needs and that she... How bad of a condition she's even in. Nobody had come for her. So... I, I think that this was her only option. And as someone who wasn't going to just fall apart in the dungeon, it, it was something that 
she knew she had to take. She couldn't be stubborn. She couldn't be this tough baddie for a second. She had to be realistic and take this bargain. And yeah, the the twisting of her bone. Ugh, ugh. Oh my God, that made me... God. I, again, I can't see stuff in my brain, but I can feel emotions. We all felt that though. Oh my gosh. Oh, that, when that happened, I literally stopped and cringed because that's just so vivid. You can... I love villains. I love the baddies, but that I was like, no, no, no. But I kind of get why he had to prove a point. I get that he was trying to incentivize her, if that's what you mean. But like, oh, I just, just at the same time, like she, she is probably loathing, hating him. Because I, you and I can see it from the outside. Like she's being foolish and is willing to throw her life away just because she doesn't like Resan right off the bat. And he's trying to give her, I'm sure, reason to please save your life. Please work with me here. I mean, wouldn't you? Motivate her to agree to it. But she probably only has pure hatred for Resan at this point. Does not understand. Well, yeah, in that situation, I wouldn't be looking at like, oh, well, he's just trying to show me why I don't want to be an idiot and let myself die. No, I'd be pissed. I'd be furious. <sighs> I mean, I get why she did it, but at the same point, part of me is like, she's a much stronger person than I ever could be. Because at that point where I'm like nearly dying and this guy that I know is evil and I've been warned by literally the know-it-all Alice to not make a bargain. And now I'm making a bargain with like the literally most evil person in the entire land of Printhian, or so we think, or so we know at this point. It just feels like a lot. I think she's just aware of how limited her time is, how close to death she's becoming. She tries to tell herself that she's feverish from a cold. Let's get real. She's got warm poo in her wounds, in her absolutely disgusting arm. You're telling me that's not getting into her bloodstream and causing an infection and killing her? There's no way. She's trying to convince herself it's not as bad as it is, but I think she knows deep down she's dying. This is not good. I do actually love when he grabs her arm, though. I know it's painful, but he's like, look, you know, that's what he's doing. Look, it says, uh, let me see it. A growl ripped, uh, rippled from him. Without waiting for my reaction, he grabbed my elbow and forced my arm into the dim lights of the cell. Yeah. And like, no, he's very serious and very caring, honestly. Like, because he did not have to give her a bargain. There's, at this point, no reason he should be. It's less playful than we've seen him. You would, you don't think that a high lord needs money. Yeah. Yeah, his claims of she made him a bunch of money, it's like, okay, and? So what? Who cares? You shouldn't feel like you owe her anything. If anything, you should just be like, yep, that, hey, I won money. Cool, move on with my life. Okay, we're, we've kind of ignored the big elephant in the room or the big swirls on Pharaoh's hand. Would you be mad? No. Right? That's what I was about to say. What a cool first tattoo. In seconds with no pain. A a sleeve that took away pain. Like she just got a sleeve, my guy. A full sleeve. Can please? Please? Where do I where do I go? I I don't quite have a sleeve yet, but I've got I've got a splattering of tattoos. They don't feel great. A splattering. A little dabble here and there. They don't, like, I don't feel my pain going away. Oh, well, my mental pain goes away. I didn't wake up feeling better from here. <laughs> I don't pass out and then wake up feeling great. But 
you know, I, I don't think I'd be embarrassed by it, but maybe, but maybe tattoos aren't a thing in the human world. Well, no, I'm, I'm assuming that the time period, whatever it is, the general 1800, I mean, comparatively to what we would know, you're talking, I'm going to see if there's a time period, what time period would you say like Renaissance era? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Enlighten us. It's believed to be around the 17 to 1800s. I was right. Woo. Okay. So there you go. There's probably not a lot of tattoos out there. Well, let's find out. Probably a very odd thing. Research. Tattooing had, however, become practiced in an amateur way by public school boys from at least the 1840s. Okay. So. And by the 1870s had become fashionable among some members of the upper classes, which makes sense. Okay. And she was not by any means. No. Upper class. Not to where she could remember being. So to her, this is absolutely devastating. But I think that the major thing that's upsetting to her is she is so focused on Tamlin, which I I have so many feelings about this. One, she's probably upset about this tattoo. Like Resan points out, it's going to piss off Tamlin. I, I mean, if he finally reacts to something. It's a sign of ownership. Yeah. And so she she's so worried about what it's going to do to Tamlin. And that in itself drives me insane. She is on her deathbed. She is barely hanging on. And all she can think about is Tamlin getting his his feelings hurt. It, I, I'm sorry. When do you prioritize yourself and living instead of, oh, Tamlin and his little feelings? Like, oh, I, he, he he's a high lord. Well, she at this point... She's had to walk on eggshells around him. He's hundreds of years old. She's 19 and she's very, like, she's dying. And she's still so worried about, oh, oh my gosh, I can't. He has fragile masculinity issues. And this is going to be some other man owning her. At least some portion, some portion, some portion, portion. Some portion of her. And that's going to make him upset. And so I get her being like, oh, shit. Because, like, imagine you came home and you had a tattoo of another man's name that was not your brother, but another man's name on your body. (laughs) I mean, I I think that's... I. I get what you're trying to say, but she doesn't have a name. She just has a tattoo. So it's like in this instance. But a night court tattoo. In this instance, if you came home with that tattoo and your husband was like, you got a tattoo without my knowing, like that's my viewpoint is like. That'd be like getting a swastika tattoo equivalent no yes it is no because it's night no. court branding he even said oh my gosh Resand even said this is like typical for the night court to have this branded on your body so you gotta think it's from like the land of where people get murdered for fun what does that remind you of right okay cool and it's by the guy that's ahead of it that's what it's like okay look i will meet you halfway here i can see how in tamlin's mind that's absolutely how he is interpreting the tattoo but the reality of it to me is that farah did what she needed to to survive she's coming home with a new tat and tamlin's pissed that she didn't get his permission first and if my husband acted that way when i came home with a new hairstyle or a new piercing or a new tattoo not even something just very innocent then that'd be a big red flag to me. That would 
piss me off. It, there's nothing that makes me want to cut my hair more than someone telling me that they don't want my hair cut, that they don't like it a certain length. It's like, well, that's my, that, those are my bod. That's all me. You don't get to rage about it. Right. But that's you and your husband. Cause you are like a modern aged woman. You got to think of this as the 1800s. Yeah, I know. I know. It's not going to be as easy. And she even hides it from, I mean, instinctually, which I kind of get. She hides it from the Lady of the Autumn Court, keeping it a secret. True. I just don't like how worried Feyre is about Tamlin's feelings at all times when she's barely living. She's barely even hanging on. It frustrates me that she's literally like heaving and panting and like trying to stay awake when not pass out from this infection and sickness from her wounds. And and all she can think is like, oh, poor Tamlin having to whip Lucian. Not even, not even much focus on the fact that Lucian had to get whipped by Tamlin, but poor Tamlin for having to do it. It's like, what? 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 I'm just sad. That makes me sad. Makes me sad for Lucian. Well, it makes me sad for both of them because that's not something you should ever have to go through. No, but I'm frustrated that Feyre is so focused on coddling Tamlin's feelings. And I'm so tired of... It's her favorite hobby, Libby. I know. He is Tim Tam the Monster Man who has emotional issues and anger issues and... All of them, all of the issues. He has all the issues. But I think it's very, very cute that Lucian's mom came and fixed the water for Feyre because the poor girl was sitting there scrubbing up and on a floor with literally muddy water and just making the white mar- marbled floor worse. And then she would have to go over a spit like a pig. Blech. It gives me hope for the Autumn Court because all we've really seen and heard of is how awful the Autumn Court is and like how Lucian's brothers are just these sick twisted monsters but then like you have it just gives me hope for women but yeah yeah after amarantha has beaten it down so low it's nice to see (laughs) yeah i like i feel like the autumn court like you said has just been all evil and then his mom's like here my debt's paid thanks for helping my and that's such a mom thing to do yeah like thanks for like not letting my kid die thanks for watching out for him yeah here's some water goodbye As a mom, I could understand that. Absolutely. If someone did something to help or just be kind to my child, it makes me want to be nice to them too. So I I feel that. Right. Because they went out of their way to make sure her child was safe. Well, and you got to think, if she got caught doing that, she would probably be killed right away. So, and she didn't have to thank Feyre for, like, Feyre, it's already done. She doesn't necessarily have to repay that kindness. No. And she risks her own self because she's so grateful to Feyre. So. So, okay, yeah, I like that. I like that more than I did. I love how the guards were pissed off that she completed the task. Like, they were literally mad. So the next day they go, there is ashes. Pick some lentils out of it. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's so dumb. I liked, there was a line in there where she was like, how bad could, like, picking some lentils be? And then she was like, I was wrong. Just immediately, I was wrong. That's how that section started. Oh, nope. And then I love how she doesn't know who's walking in. All she knows is they, that it, it's an era of darkness. And at this point, I'm like, Reese. Yeah, um, because that's all all we've gotten about him is he's got an air of darkness to him. And then he goes, Farrah, darling, do I want to know why you're in my fireplace? <laughs> I, too, would have walked in and been like, what are you, what are you doing? What's going on? What is this? Yeah, yeah. 
why are you combing through the fireplace, buddy? Is pretty much what he said. <laughs> he gets real deep and emotional with her, like, really quickly. Yeah. And shows um, the wings and that he has that we didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And then Feyre gets turned on by seeing the wings. I mean... She's been into the growling and like petting. Like I'm, it's not a far stretch. It really isn't. And I guess she really do, does like the man that shapeshifts. So they got deep for a second. He shows it's his wings. Yeah, he, and she he's telling her all about like he used to have so many more powers. Then he caresses her mind again, which just sounds like we said before, real weird. And then um, we learn that he's got a like inner beast too, and all the high lords do. It makes me want to know, like, I, I, I just want to know what they are. You know, I'm interested to see what each person's correlation is, if that makes sense. Like, what, what's the autumn court? What's the dawn court? What, what are their... Yeah, are, is that one like a, a, a bald eagle? I don't know. <laughs> bald eagle? I was thinking like some majestic bird, but... What? A bald eagle is the most majestic bird. It's got the name bald. Like, who? who is like, let's name this beautiful thing bald. Bald eagle. That's a gorgeous. No, I'm talking like a phoenix or like something okay. that's like, there, yeah. yeah. Majestic. I, I, I was want... thinking patriotic, but. This is Prithian, all right? There is no patriotism in <laughs> No, I just, I feel like this was a very um, emotional chapter, not in like the normal like life or death emotions. No, they seem to connect. Like her and Rhysand seem to have actual real moments and to you know, almost not, not bond, but to get to understand one another a little bit. I feel there was a little bit of bonding because they were yeah. like joking back and forth. And I don't know, he was like, what are you doing in the fireplace, girlfriend? I thought it was super cute. I, that's it's maybe that's weird to say. I thought it was super cute. I, how at the very end though, he tells them like, "Do not touch her again. No more stupid tasks. Don't touch her." And like, mine controlled them, and they just like blindly were like, "Yep, okay." Oh, at the end, yeah. And then he just kind of like smiles like at her, and it's just kind of like he's making he's he wants to make it that much easier for her. And yeah. I think the frustrating thing to me is that he has done more for Feyre in these, like, couple of chapters than Tamlin has in how long now? Oh, my God. Or Tamlin and Lucian combined. Both, yeah. He literally saved her life multiple times. Like, Rhysand's really gone out of his way. Yes. Why? I, I I don't know, but... I'm not mad at it. I'm not, I'm not disliking it. He's, I kind of like him now because he's, he's like sarcastic and funny and yeah, he's helping her when nobody else is. And like, he got mad at the guards for making her do stupid stuff and told him off and like backed his word. And I don't think we're, we fully know him. I don't think we fully know his motives or why like you said why 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 recent tell us but i'm interested to see where it goes where his character goes and where their whatever this is goes libby what's your favorite quote my favorite quote and i want to pinpoint this was a little hard there was a not a lot of favorite no i there was a lot of uh imagery but i did not love the imagery of twisting bones and nope and vomit corners so mm, delicious vomit <laughs> corners 
<laughs> Yummy. I did manage to find one quote that I really, I, I, I don't know, it stuck out to me. It says, he looked me up and down. I had my reasons to be out then. Do not think, Feyre, that it did Didn't not cost, cost me. me. Oh, yeah, chills. Something about it. Like, he was so serious. I want to know what it cost you, sir. I'm sorry. That was very mysterious. Give us more detail. Give us more information. And just to get so serious and so, like, stern about it. Like, oh, that's not our resand. Like, something, something really hit, struck a chord in him. I lied. I do have a favorite quote. Because I've talked about it approximately 76 times this episode. It's about the fireplace. As when Reese goes, as wonderful as it is to see you, favorite darling, do I want to know why you're digging through my fireplace? It's just such a funny line. Yes. I love it so much. Just because I, it's so thick with sarcasm. I can just hear him going like, what the fuck are you doing? But also like kind of cute. Like as much as I love to see you, like, oh, oh. Like lovingly, what the fuck are you doing? I liked in this chapter too, this reminded me that she called him out. She called him out from saying, you know, you knew who I was. Well, you lied to Amarantha. Maybe she's testing you by putting me in your path so much. And making me clean your fireplace because she knows that you lied about having known who I actually was. I can't. I just want these people to be real. I think these two chapters were really fun. And I liked the dynamic between Rhysan and Feyre. And I want to see it go further. With the wings, maybe? I mean, right now, wings sound a whole lot better than claws. <laughs> that is true. Ready for start of the week? No, let's just be done. No, we have a very great star of the week. Okay. Yes. Yes, I want to know. I was kidding. I'm so sorry. I was kidding. I really do want to know. Our star this week is a bookish Instagrammer. Her name is Emily Hughes, and her Instagram is at readingismyaesthetic, and her Instagram account is my aesthetic. It is beautiful. It is every cozy bookish thing you've ever wanted in your whole life. And the way she kind of describes herself is uh, just a girl wanting to live in a fantasy world, which I need on a t-shirt because I find myself in regular life just going, this would be so much fun if dragons were involved or fairies or if I had any sort of magic at all. You know, if I could just wear a corset and like not be looked at strangely, if I can just wear a corset and a flowy dress everywhere, that'd be great. Oh, yeah. But Emily is such a fantastic star of the week that she recorded a little blurb, her little about me. And we're going to play it for you guys right now. So I started my bookstagram account back in August 2021, over two years ago, which is crazy. And it all started with my best friend. She got me into reading the Actor series, which I absolutely fell in love with. I'm completely obsessed and it just reignited my love for reading. We only really had each other to talk to about books so she actually created her own bookstagram a couple weeks before I did just as a way of sharing the books that she loved and I thought oh my god like I want to do that too. It's like what a great way to kind of make more friends and share the books we love and speak about the books we love with other people who also love them. So that's how it was created. I never could have imagined in a million years that it would that my account would grow as much as it has. It's just like absolutely wild to me. I still, I feel like I've got imposter syndrome. Like I don't actually believe this is my account. But yeah, that's how it all started. As for any hobbies, I am a very artistic person. I love to draw and paint. I love anything arty, anything creative. I actually played piano for 10 years as well when I was a kid. 
so I'm a bit of practice now I'm not gonna lie it's been a while since I've practiced but I love playing the piano when I do and then obviously I love to read that's the whole reason why this account exists because of my love for reading my bit of backstory I guess not a lot of people know about me is um I was born in Abu Dhabi and grew up in Dubai. So I spent almost my entire childhood in the Middle East. Um, we moved back to the UK in 2007 when I was about nine or 10 years old. So yeah, I spent my, basically my entire childhood in the Middle East. We actually lived in Mexico um, City for a year as well. And we just traveled a lot around with my dad's work. Yeah, and that's for something I'm proud of, I guess. I guess I'm proud of this account and for pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Like it was a very kind of scary thing for me to do initially. Like I never used to show my face on here. So yeah, I guess I'm just proud of pushing myself um, out of my comfort zone. Thanks, Emily. Again, her Instagram is at reading is my aesthetic. I'm not going to spell that out because I think you guys got that one covered. But if you want to go and give her a follow on Instagram, that would be fantastic. So cute. She's freaking adorable. Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you. Send an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com and tell us everything. That's all. That's it. No, you know what to do. How you found the series, your favorite characters or questions you have for us. Also, if you like us at all, please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or rating on Spotify to help us find more of our bookish friends. Bonus points if you share the podcast with your friends. Please. And we do keep count. We keep track. There is a score sheet. Yes, I will give you um, an extra 25 bonus points this week specifically. And a smiley face emoji. Oh my gosh, that's a little much. Mm. It's a little much. I'm, You know, I'm feeling generous. I really am. Yes, friends, if you would share us to your friends and leave us a review, that way we can find more of our friends. That would be great because we're now 19 episodes in somehow. That's a lot. And we want to find more of you guys. We did this 19 times. And a mini. I was going to say, we've done this 20 times now. But yes. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We will see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. From the dark. It's a man. From the fight. It's me. Taking home my feelings, you in my head, you in my heart. I'm living a dog. Not butt down. She did not butt down. It's working. Apparently, she doesn't have energy to argue. She can drop some ass. Okay. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> she can sure throw her ass back. <laughs> she can. She can throw that ass and <laughs> fuck. <laughs> she can't. She can't argue. <laughs> Too tired to do anything about else, but she can do that. That woman loves to twerk. <laughs> <laughs>